church, hola iglesia, it is great to be with you. Uh, my name is Ethan, one of the ministers here, and I'm so glad you're here with us today. I am super eager for today's message. Uh, all week long, uh, as I, even as I prepared the message, I have, have realized this increasing need that I have to hear the message. And so just my prayer the whole week has just been, okay, God, I am ready to listen to the sermon uh, this week, which may sound weird coming from the preacher, but I just know I need to hear the message. And, and so maybe if you would just make that your prayer right now, you could just, just pray, God, I am ready to listen to the message because even though I'm eager for this message, I'm also a little nervous about it. Okay, we're doing this series, Love Everyone, and some of you don't know what's coming, but some of you do, because we've talked about loving our families, and loving the church, and loving our neighbor, and some of you know what comes next. Like, if you're going to do the list through the things that Jesus taught us to love, some of you know what comes next, and it's a tough word. Um, so maybe let's stall a little bit. Okay, uh, what can we do? Um, ooh, let's do more announcements. Yeah, more announcements. Yes, um, we could talk about the men's breakfast two weeks. Oh, shoot, Laura already mentioned that. Um, what did she say? Uh, oh, she didn't talk about Kid Venture. Oh, yeah, yeah, Kid Venture. Uh, it's this thing we do on Wednesday nights for first through fifth graders, and they get to bring a, an adult with them. So you, it's adults too. And um, they just did camping, and they just went camping, and it was awesome. But the, uh, the next adventure, it's a perfect time to jump in, and they gotta go in one month increments. The next adventure starts this Wednesday night, and we are building catapults. And I get to lead this month, so I lead October, and we are actually building catapults. So kids, if you're in the first through fifth grade and you've ever wanted to build a catapult, and old people, if you ever wanted to, we really are. This is not some weird joke. You're not going to be like, oh, that's not actually a catapult. No, they're actually catapults. Uh, they're going to be awesome. We're going to build them. We start Wednesday night. You could come for that. Um, okay, what else can I stall with? Um, that's all I've got. Shoot, we're going to have to preach this sermon. All right, okay. Here's the thing. The sermon's going to end the same way the last five sermons have, okay? We're going to talk about who, and we're going to talk about how. Talk about who and how. Who do you need to love, and how are you going to love them, all right? And the who question has been driven by this. Who do you have a unique opportunity to love? Who are you positioned to love in a way nobody else can? And we've said, you can love your family members in a way nobody else can. And that makes sense. And you can love the people in your church in a way somebody outside your church couldn't. And that makes sense. And then last week we said, you can love your neighbors in a way. You're, you're positioned uniquely to love your neighbors, those you see. We said, if you can see them, that's enough justification to love them. And you're unique. I've actually heard some stories this week of, of people who said, Ethan, this person's been there the whole time. I never saw him, but this week I saw him and I loved him. And, and, it, and there's one more thing we got to talk about. One more relationship that leaves you uniquely positioned. You can love them in a way no one else can because of this special relationship that God has given you. Um, and, and some of you already know what it is. We're going to talk about loving your enemies. That's a relationship. It's not one you wanted. 
It's not one you look forward to, but it does create a unique opportunity for you to love someone. And if we were to make a list of the most ignored of Jesus' commands, I don't know what else we would put on the list, but this one would definitely go on the list. But, but he, did, he said it all the time. It shows up all over the place in the Bible. Here's an example from Luke, Luke chapter 6. He says, uh, but to anybody who's still paying attention to Jesus. Don't you ever wonder if anybody's still paying attention to Jesus? You know, look around the world. Anybody paying attention to Jesus? He says, all right. Well, if anybody is still listening to what I say, here's what I say. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Now, let's just notice here, right off the gate, Jesus has already eliminated our first defense. Our first defense would have been to love our enemies in some sort of generic and theoretical way, right? Oh, yes, I love my enemies. More specifically, I'd love for them to drop off the face of the earth, you know. But he immediately eliminates that possibility. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes you what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to get paid back in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Well, then your reward will be great because you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. This is a difficult text. This is a demanding text. I've spent several weeks on this text this year. First, there was the time that the team worked and we had to write the devos and we had to write the booklets, which if you haven't grabbed, grab a booklet. We had to work on it then. Then I had to work again to, to prep the, the video messages for the small group curriculum. And then I had to work on this text again to, press, to prep this message. And the whole time, I, I felt like, you know, what do you, what do you preach? You know, I mean, I, mean, I don't want to come up here and stand all smug and act like I've got this figured out and you don't. And if only you were more like me, you know. Who am I kidding? But I remembered, um, I was in college and um, I read a whole bunch of sermons by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you can buy books of his sermons. They had them in the library, and I read a whole bunch of them. And one in particular has just stuck with me. I've reread it several times since then. It, it was on this text. 
And I figured, here's a guy who hasn't just studied it and preached on it. He's, he's done a pretty good job living it, right? You know, you want to learn from somebody who's practiced what they preach. I, I looked it back up again recently. He starts just where we've started. He starts with the, the who question. He says, you've got to acknowledge the reality in life that we have enemies in life. Because you can sort of try to let yourself off the hook of this teaching if you sort of uh, you just act like, well, I don't have any enemies. I like everybody. I guess I don't have to love anybody then. But he says, no. He says, in life, sometimes there will be those who seek to harm you. There will be those who lie about you. Have you been lied about recently? Some of you have. You know. There'll be those who seek to harm what you love. Maybe the institutions that you lead or harm your family or, you know, you want to get you an enemy. I didn't think I really had enemies until somebody was mean to my, one of my kids. And all of a sudden, I was going to take that 12-year-old out like... <laughs> Holy mackerel. Like, I didn't even know I could feel that way until somebody hurt one of my kids, you know? You know? Maybe it's uh, somebody who's promoting values that you disagree with and you think are bad. They're promoting values that you think are bad for the world, you know? Uh, in this sermon, King talks about those who seek to harm the country, he was very concerned at this, at this current moment, this is the 50s when he preached this sermon, he was very concerned about the threat of communism and he talks about that as an enemy. Maybe it's the person who threatens your loved ones or forgot to send you an email or cut you off in traffic or borrowed your stapler and didn't return it. I don't know, but do you know yet who we're talking about? I mean, could you just be honest with a God for just one second and say, yeah, there are people who want to do me harm and they are my enemies. There are people whose values are in opposition to mine and they are my opponents. There are people who, who, who lie about me and hurt me or lie about my family or lie about the institutions I love or, or weaken the church, you know. This text applies to us. We can't get out that way. Uh, next, Dr. King addresses probably the next easy rejection, which is to say that, that, that Jesus didn't really mean it, that it's just sort of religious, spiritual exaggeration. Here, here's what Dr. King says. Let me hasten to say that Jesus was very serious when he gave us this command. He wasn't playing he realized that it's hard to love your enemies. He realized that it's difficult to love those persons who seek to defeat you, those persons who say evil things about you. He realized that it was painfully hard, pressingly hard, but he wasn't playing. We cannot dismiss this passage as an example of Middle Eastern hyperbole, just some sort of exaggeration to make the point. On the contrary... This is the basic philosophy of all that we hear coming from the lips of our master, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus wasn't playing. He was serious. 
And therefore, we have the Christian and moral responsibility to seek to discover the meaning of these words, discover how we can live out the command, and why we should be obedient to it. And Dr. King is right, of course. Uh, This is not hyperbole. The text itself demonstrates that every place where the command to love your enemies is repeated, it is attached to specific practical actions. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who harm you. Bless those who curse you. Honestly, as I say these words out loud, they sort of sound crazy to me, right? Do good to those who harm you? Like, like if, if, if you didn't know that was from the Bible, like I feel like I should have brought a Bible up on stage with me just as a prop, just so, so you know. Because like, as I say these words, they sound almost like nonsense. Seek the good of the one who hurts you. So how can we do it? Well, Dr. King makes four suggestions about how. They're in two pairs. The first pair is rather simple but very important. See the evil in yourself. And see the good in your enemy. He says that's where you start. See the evil in yourself, see the good in your enemy. And of course, this is the way God sees us. God sees the evil in all of us, all of us sinners, all of us falling short, all of us doing harm to someone, all of us injuring someone, all of us slandering someone. God sees the evil in you as well as your enemy. But God also sees the good. All of us redeemable, all of us savable, all of us able to be healed and restored and made whole. This is the very thing for which God works, and God knows it's true of you, and God knows it's true of your enemy as well. Loving everyone is as much a practical exercise as it is a spiritual exercise. But maybe here we want to start with the spiritual. And maybe if, if, if God's spirit has called to mind an enemy for you right now, those who seek to harm you, those who seek to damage you, those who seek to promote values that are different than the values of God, if right now you have an awareness of an enemy Maybe you could, just, you could just pray this simple prayer. You could just acknowledge to God, God, my enemy is your beloved child. That's going to change your posture toward your enemy, isn't it? If every time as you approach your enemy, as you think about your enemy, you first acknowledge to God, God, my enemy is your beloved child. I don't know who I'm talking about. Maybe I'm talking about your ex. Maybe I'm talking about your sister. 
Maybe I'm going to talk about the, the, the neighbor who's suing you right now over the azaleas. I don't know who I'm talking about. You know who I'm talking about. You could just acknowledge for God, God, my enemy. Got an email from somebody. He's pretty sure his enemy is the Democrats. I got bad news for him. His enemy is God's beloved child. Maybe you're pretty sure it's the Republicans. I got bad news for you. Your enemy is God's beloved child. Having done that, Dr. King suggests that the next step for how we love our enemies is another pair. When we have a chance to defeat our enemies or destroy our enemies, we do not take it. And when we have a chance to do good, we do it. Again, I would read these words and, and think they were crazy if they weren't precisely anchored in Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, be willing to associate with people of low positions, do not be conceited, do not repay anyone evil for evil. But that's what they deserve, yep. That's what they earned, yep. That's what they, they're asking for it, yep. If it wasn't in the Bible, you shouldn't take my word for it. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. This is why Dr. King writes, when we have a chance to defeat our enemies, we do not take it. Paul goes on, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Now, I'll tell you a little interesting piece of Bible trivia here. You see that phrase, heap burning coals on his head? Uh, that's a, Paul didn't come up with that phrase. That's a quote from Proverbs. In fact, that whole little thing. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them some drink. In so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. That whole little thing is a quote from Proverbs. Interesting thing, this little phrase, heap burning coals on his head, doesn't show up very often in the Bible, and so it's a little hard to know what it means. Um, there's a similar idiom in Egyptian culture, where, of course, the Israelites lived for hundreds of years, so they might have learned it there. There's an idiom in Egyptian culture that it means it causes them embarrassment or shame. Their face lights up like it's on fire, and so it's a, it's a way of saying you'll embarrass them. If they're mean to you and you're nice to them, they'll be ashamed of themselves, and maybe they'll change. Uh, there's, there are also, though, some regional idioms uh, like this that are, are a reference to... Um, if your fire went out in your house, you would go to your neighbor's house with a clay pot that you would kind of hold up on your shoulder or up on your head, and they would fill it full of hot coals as a, as a blessing for you to go back and light your fire. And here's what I think is so cool. We don't know which one it is. Like nobody 100% knows exactly what that metaphor means. I think that's super cool. But guess what? Everybody knows what the two words in front, the two lines in front of it means. Okay. So no, the Bible scholars aren't quite sure what the heat burning coals means, but they know 
They figured it out. They cracked the code of what it means to say, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. Took some real sleuths on that one. They gathered another team of brilliant scholars and they figured out what it means if your enemy is thirsty. Give them something to drink. Again, smart folks. And then this last thing he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. They figured that one out too. And that's why Dr. King says to the people in the late 50s, as the tensions of the civil rights movement were getting worse and worse and worse, he says, when we have a chance to defeat and destroy our enemies, do not take it. And when we have a chance to do good to them, do it. I'm telling you, if it wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it for a second. In fact, Dr. King goes from the how to talk a little bit about why. Why would we choose this remarkable, unlikely path when the path of vengeance, the path of power is so tempting? His first answer is because someone has to break the cycle. I'm going to read from him. I want you to hear it in his words. He says, I think the first reason that we should love our enemies, and I think this was at the center of Jesus' thinking, is this, that hate for hate only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. If I hit you and you hit me and I hit you back and you hit me back, it just goes on, you see. It goes on for infinity. It just never ends. And somewhere, somebody must have some sense and some strength. Men must see that force begets force and hate begets hate and toughness begets toughness and all it is is a descending spiral ultimately ending in destruction for all and everybody. Somebody must have sense enough and morality enough to cut off the chain of hate and the chain of evil in the universe and you do that by love. He later talks about how this chain of hate getting every longer with every link of hateful action adding to the chain will choke out the world unless somebody breaks the chain. I will just say this advice of the need for someone to have sense enough to break the chain of hate. This is really good advice for marriages and for families. Uh, I'm, you know, it's interesting. If you wanted to start, if you're trying to figure out where do I start learning how to love my enemies, a lot of you should start with your spouse or your sister or your parents or your kids or your cousin. I mean, a lot of you should start with there. Maybe your ex, you know. That might be where you need to start to just say, I'm going to break the chain of hate. Like, whatever they do, 
I'm not going to be hateful back. And that way the chain never gets started, you know. But, of course, it's bigger than just our families, you know. I think about the way that churches and religious institutions are under attack today with enemies speaking ill and lying about them, seeking to destroy their good work in Jesus' name. I imagine that when the church or another religious organization is under attack, that maybe somebody in the leadership level of trying to figure out how do we respond, maybe somebody has been reading Romans 12 or they've been reading Luke 6 like we just did and somebody says, I know it's hard, but we must figure out a way to love our enemies even though they are trying to destroy us. You can imagine somebody who just read those verses would say that, right? We must figure out a way to love our enemies, even though they're trying to destroy us. And then I can imagine someone else replying, that sounds good. I'll be happy to love them just as soon as they love us first. Isn't that the way it happens, right? That's what we say, right? We say, I'll be happy to love you as soon as you love me first. I'll be happy to lay down my weapons as soon as you lay down yours. But until then, I fight fire with fire. Dr. King suggests that the first reason why we must learn to love our enemies is because someone has to break the cycle or we just destroy ourselves. The second reason he suggests why we must learn this difficult and almost illogical task of loving our enemies is because when we let ourselves hate our enemies, we do damage to the image of God in us. We become less like our Heavenly Father. Here again, as he usually was, he's drawing directly from Scripture. Matthew 5, Jesus says, You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You know, when you hate your enemies, you become more like them, right? They lied about you, so you lie about them. They used power over you, so you use power over them. When you hate your enemies, you become more like your enemies. But it's so much worse than that. Because when you hate your enemies, you become like the enemy, You become like the one true enemy. When we hate our enemies, it's like we're rehearsing to become more like the devil and less like God. And when we love our enemies, as futile as it sometimes seems, as empty as it sometimes seems, and as painful as it always is, we're a little bit more like children of God. Just, just a little bit. Dr. King gives one more reason 
why we would try to love our enemies. Not just because somebody has to break the chain and because it makes us more like God, but he says that love is the only true power in the universe. The real power, the real power we seek is the power of love. He he puts it this way. Love has within it redemptive power. There is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and to transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, you will discover that at the very root of love is the power of redemption. You just keep on loving people. Keep on loving them, even though they're mistreating you. Consider the person who is your neighbor, and that person is doing something wrong to you and all of that. Just keep being friendly to the person. Keep loving the person. Don't do anything to embarrass them. Just keep loving them, and they can't stand it for too long. Oh, they may react in many ways in the beginning. They'll react with bitterness because they're mad that you can love them like that. They'll react with guilt, and their guilt will manifest as even greater hate towards you during this transition period. But you just keep loving them. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the weight of love. That's love. It's redemptive. That's why Jesus says to love, because there is something about love that it builds up and creates opportunity, and there's something about hate that tears down and destroys. Here again, Dr. King is expressing just central biblical theology. Romans chapter 5, you see at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were still God's enemies. Let me pause there for a second. I remember I was in college, junior or senior year, sitting in a small group with some friends. We were trying to decide what to do. Um, We had come under attack. We were being lied about and slandered. And we were trying to figure out how to respond. Um, The lies were being believed. Um, And we were aware of all this teaching about loving your enemies. And we were discussing whether that should be our response. And um, in this conversation, one of my buddies asked the question that that really was the one that I was asking too, 
but he found the words for it first. He said, yeah, but who does that? I mean, who really loves their enemies? Who really does good to their enemies while their enemies are attacking them? Who really blesses their enemies while their enemies seek to destroy them? Who really loves their enemies? And it just kind of sat there. And then one of my other buddies kind of slumped down in his chair. And he said, God, God does that. God loves his enemies. And and we were all good Christian kids, and we knew what he was talking about. He was talking about Romans 5, verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Who really loves their enemies? Like, I mean, come on, seriously now. Who actually does that? God does that. That's what God did for us. And then, of course, everyone who's trying to follow God also does that. I wish I could say that's been my habit my whole life long. It hasn't, of course. But it actually was that one time when we sat in a circle and tried to figure out what to do. Somehow that question and that answer, it broke the stalemate. And our conversation changed to try to figure out how to bless the people that were trying to hurt us. Dr. King says, why would we choose love? Well, because it's the only real power. It's the only real power. So, I think I told you we'd end with the same two questions. So let's do that. Who is your enemy? Who's the one that seeks to hurt you or those you love? Seek to advance an agenda that you believe is evil and destructive. Lies about you, slanders you, harms you. Works against the purposes and goodness of God or God's church. Who is it? That means you are in a unique position. You can love them in a way nobody else can. And your love would bring a clarity of testimony to the goodness of God. And and, and I urge you, as you hear me challenge you to love your enemies, let yourself ask the same skeptical question my friend asks. Who does that? And then remember the answer. 
God does that. And all those who seek to live like him. Up till now, we've always wheeled these boards out and we've come up and written on the boards. We actually aren't going to do that today because I thought it would be a little awkward for us to write the names of all of our enemies on the board. Um, We'd have people coming up after service to see if their name was up there and see if they could recognize the handwriting. Okay, so we're not going to do that today. But with that one exception, I do want today's message to be just as simple as every other one. The band's going to come on out and we're going to sing. If today's the day you need to join this church or give your life to Christ in faith and be baptized into him, you come do that today. But for every one of you, my challenge to you is very simple. Who loves their enemies? God does. And all those who seek to live like him. So admit to God who your enemy is. The one who opposes you or seeks to do you harm or lies about you or hurts those you love. And then you just ask God, how do I need to love them? Maybe God will say something like, bless those who curse you. Or pray for those who persecute you. Or do good to those who seek to do you harm. Let me pray for you. God, give us the grace right now. This feels so scary. I didn't even realize how much I needed this message until even this moment. Please, God, help us to have the humility to name our enemy in your presence and recognize that they are your beloved child of God and to believe that the only power in this universe is the power of love and to believe that as you have loved us while we were your enemies, we can, by your power, love those who are our enemies today. This is our prayer. I pray that as we sing these words, we would make a commitment to you to love our enemies this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.